This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We have a super special guest on today. Melissa Bangs is with us. She's here to talk about her journey through postpartum. Melissa is a writer, director, storyteller, and comedian who is currently on a year-long West Coast tour with her husband, Eric, four-year-old daughter, Adelaide, and 130-pound Bernese Mountain Dog, Etta James. They're touring Melissa's nonfiction storytelling performance, playing Monopoly with God and other true stories, a tragic comedy unlike anything you've ever experienced. In September 2012, at 40 years old, Melissa Bangs gave birth to her beautiful daughter, Adelaide. A month later, dramatically hormone-depleted and sleep-deprived, Melissa is admitted into an inpatient psych unit in a complete manic state. After nearly a month, she's sent home with a bipolar diagnosis and on lithium. What comes next is an extraordinary journey. We'll find out a little bit about her journey today and let you know where you can see this amazing, real, and important performance. Thanks so much for being with us, Melissa. Thank you so much, Kat. I'm really happy to have you on. I've heard so much about your performance and about the work that you're doing to get the word out about maternal mental health. And I'm excited to see it pretty soon myself. And towards the end of our chat today, I'm hopeful to let everybody know where they can also catch your performance. I'd love to start out hearing about your journey and how you came to be able to put your journey into a performance piece. Sure. Well, maybe I'll start with a little background. You know, I gave birth at 40. Mm -hmm. I was a late bloomer. My husband and I have lived several lives before we became parents. And I had never experienced depression, mania, anxiety. I had really never had a blip on my mental health radar Mm-hmm. And had really counted on the stability of my mind and you know my mental health. 
as we know, being pregnant, giving birth is a wild hormonal journey. And for me, my hormonal picture left me incredibly hyper vigilant. Mm. And while I was profoundly in love with this new little baby and had moments of feeling blissed out and had some pretty normal baby blues moments of, you know, lots of tears and it was just these profound waves of love. Mm. I also began to experience real fear and worry and this overwhelming sense of responsibility for her safety, Mm -hmm. which in this hormonal state that was really amped, it felt impossible to guarantee the level of safety that I suddenly felt was mine. And, you know, she would eat every hour and a half to two hours, would feed and I was breastfeeding and we co-slept and, you know, she start feeding and within a minute, be dream feeding, be passed out, happily mm-hmm. sleeping while feeding. And I, with every little sound or movement that she made, was so hypervigilant, I felt like I had to investigate to make sure she's still alive. And for me, this meant that over that first month, I really didn't get any deep sleep. I felt as if I didn't get any REM, any deep sleep. And at some point, I couldn't fall asleep at all. Mm -hmm. And just a few days for a month, she was a month old, I entered an entirely different reality. And the day she turned a month old, I landed in the psych ward where I was for almost a month, three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to give too much of the performance away and its specifics right. throughout the interview, but I will say that, you know, within the storytelling performance itself, all nonfiction, you know, I take the audience inside the birth of Adelaide, the meeting of her, the falling in love with her, that first month, those, the accumulation of the sleep deprivation and sort of the changes in my perception experience. And then I take you inside psychosis and that other reality and in the anxiety and the mania. And I take the audience to the psych ward and Mm -hmm. that journey ranges from ethereal and beautiful to terrifying and tragic. And in the writing and the performance, do my very best to share the experience without filters, without blame, blame of others and blame of myself. It was a large dose of compassion and forgiveness for really any person that has ever experienced anything remotely in the realm of what I did, as well as a deep forgiveness for myself in the experience. And I'll just say that, you know, the number one response to the show so far over, we've done 20 shows and the vast majority wildly and beautifully have sold out. The, Mm -hmm. The number one response has been, I was laughing or crying the entire time. (laughs) very much tragic comedy (laughs) yeah right but you are doing such an important thing I mean it's one thing to read about what it's like you know for people who've never been through something like this but to be able to go on that experience and that kind of ride with you really gives people a glimpse into what it's like maybe for someone they care about or just so they can develop a sense of compassion for others who are dealing with really, really difficult mental health changes. Absolutely. It's very powerful and necessary. And I think also for women or anyone who has been through something like this to feel like they're represented out there in the world that there's somebody out there that gets it and someone's telling a part of their story too. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, 
my husband on this tour is the MC. He introduces the show and it's such a sweet and profound moment that he does introduce the show and give you a sense of him and us and him in the journey. And he says, you know, this story is not meant to be prescriptive. And, you know, we have as moms and as dads in our postpartum experiences, if we had, you know, a mental health breakdown or difficult chapter postpartum as moms and dads, they are vastly diverse. And there's such an array that we might experience and have experienced are experiencing. But my hope is that me telling my story from a mountaintop and telling it without shame and with compassion for myself and others allows more of us to have the room to tell our stories. And, you know, I really feel like if my story were about me, I would have been bored telling it a long time ago. Right. But it is about so many of us, even if your details look really different from mine. Right. Absolutely. And I will say, while I take us to the psych ward, you know, the story doesn't end there. You know, it's about a third funny, a third tragedy. I call it tragic comedy. About a third of it is everything in between. It's much like life. But the story is ultimately uplifting and has been healing and transformative for many people in this journey so far. I'm so thrilled to hear that for you and for the people who've been touched by by this. And I do want to get into that in just a little bit, kind of the what you've seen in terms of the impact of the show. And I realize that a lot of the details of your story are expressed in the show itself. Just in terms of the audience that's listening right now, um, you know, when we hear or when people who are, I guess, don't know a whole lot about inpatient psych units and bipolar diagnosis and being psychotic, those things sound like, oh, well, what's that like? Or, or, oh, that's not me or something that's very Mm -hmm. foreign, which is Mm -hmm. super powerful for you to be talking about this so that it's not a foreign concept or this other thing that happens to other people. But it does kind of make me wonder, how were you treated by people? How did people care for you? Or how did people respond to you while you were going through this? Yeah, I love this question. You know, the journey was long and there were so many chapters and there were so many different people that responded to me, right? Mm -hmm. If I start with the staff and the inpatient unit, I am to this day grateful that there was a safe place that I could be when, while coming back to myself and coming out of psychosis. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. 
That's understood explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And I'm grateful for just the hardworking and compassionate team that was there, from nurses to social worker to the psychiatrist. There were very difficult elements within my time in the psych ward, and not everything uh, they didn't have all the tools that looking back, I wish they had had. And some of it was bewildering and far from sort of ultimately the care that I would hope that one day all moms, if ever in the situation, would have. But I do recognize that they did the best that they could with the tools that they had. Mm. I'm very interested as a survivor and advocate and a former strategic planner with this journey in inspiring change and helping spark conversations about potential change within the medical model of maternal mental health. And, you know, I'm from Montana, so I was inpatient in Montana, but all over this country, there is room to do better. And there are models in which they are doing better and best practices are emerging, which is incredibly exciting. You know, for example, I was separated almost entirely from Adelaide. She was one month old. Mm-hmm. I'm breastfeeding mama. And, you know, that separation alone truly could make any mama lose her mind. Yeah. And the idea that I was supposed to at some point look sane enough to go home, but was seeing my baby a half hour or hour a day and not every day. And the psychiatrist would decide whether or not I could hold her in those visits Mm. was far from the ideal. And the team really didn't have a postpartum toolbox or practices in place. They weren't entirely sure what to do with me. And in many ways, treated me as if I were any psychotic patient. And like I said, you know, this is true for communities across the country, not just Montana. Places like the Mama Baby Unit at UNC North Carolina Chapel Hill that opened in 2013, Mm -hmm. where mamas and babies in every case possible are kept together, where they know much more about the impact of meds on breastfeeding. And in many cases, moms can be medicated to some extent or on some meds and continue breastfeeding. And even if they can't, there's help and support in the bonding or there's help and support in keeping the milk in until they might not be medicated. But there's really a real beautiful approach in place to protect that bond. And in any case possible, Mm -hmm. keep moms and babies together. And there are best practices in the US and the UK that I would love to see replicated widely here, where they actually do hormone testing and neurotransmitter testing for a postpartum mama and recognize that this is such a tumultuous time in a person's hormonal journey and that those extreme imbalances are a part of what's going on, that these symptoms have a root cause and in many cases lead to this 
extreme sleep deprivation, which is, you know, one of the largest causes of the range of things that we experience postpartum, whether it's depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, Mm -hmm. you know, bipolar, that that sleep is critical. And there are best practices where a mama lands on a psych ward postpartum, she is given three to five days of sleep aid only and Mm -hmm. see where she lands before you start throwing a whole bunch of other drugs at her. And I, you know, while I am grateful I had a safe place and I am grateful that I came back to myself there or enough back to myself Mm -hmm. to go home and continue to find my way back to myself, I was on nine different drugs in three and a half weeks. And I'm really curious what would have been different if I had simply been provided with major sleep aid and been allowed to sleep for three to five days. Where would I have landed? Could they have started there? Yeah. Yeah. Right. We have a lot of work to do to get those type of treatment programs replicated everywhere. But this is where it starts is, is identifying the need and making a point to talk about it and Um, having experiences like yours and sharing your journey is part of how these systems learn that they can do better. Hopefully, hopefully they're learning. Absolutely. I'll say in this case, you know, the hospital actually did send, I've done seven shows in my hometown in Montana. They all sold out Mm -hmm. and the hospital inpatient unit actually sent staff from nurses to, or invited them. And many came from nurses, social workers, even one of the primary psychiatrists came to the show to see it. And I've had some really profound conversations with the director of inpatient care about the future, you know, their programs in the realm of maternal mental health and the hospital this year started their first postpartum support group. And so I, you know, I hope this is just the beginning. That's amazing that your work is changing the system. That's phenomenal. And you're still doing that. I mean, you're now going as wherever you can, wherever you can (laughs) tell your story, which I I just love that you're on a tour. Thank Um, you. When you were going through the process of getting the help, how were people responding to you? You know, my family and friends were amazing and surrounded us without judgment and with an incredible dose of compassion. I never felt as if anyone within our close community treated me as if something were terribly wrong with me or irreversibly, you know, wrong or with judgment, distance of judgment. And that was such a gift because I absolutely know mamas where their community all of a sudden holds them at arm's length, Yeah, a community that they absolutely need yeah. in their healing journey is right. not there for them all of a sudden because of their own fear, their own lack of knowledge cannot be there for a loved one that has had a mental health crisis. And that is so sad. And I, yeah. I think in our journeys towards healing and whole health, that has to change. I will say my husband's role was specifically profound. And I still look back at who he chose to be in this journey. And I'm in awe and such gratitude. Mm. (laughs) It makes me want to cry. You know, he's a brand new papa. We have a one month old baby who Mm. needs me to survive. We're still pretty much newlyweds. Mm. (laughs) You know, we were together a year before we were married. And then we took us another year 
we had one miscarriage early and then another year before we got pregnant. And so we're still early in our journey together as life partners. And all of a sudden, the me he fell in love with is just gone. Mm. And yet he chose a path that was truly life-saving. He never made me feel crazy. He never blamed me or in the slightest way acted as if somehow this was my fault. He never lost sight of the woman that he fell in love with. And even when I was in the midst of the experience about coming back to myself and was wrestling with doubt and shame and trying to make sense of what had just happened and what was to come and was this somehow something I was going to wrestle with for the rest of my life? Would I ever come back to me that I was? Mm-hmm. He never lost sight of the woman he you know, had fallen in love with and how strong and loving and grounded she was. And he advocated for me really every step of the way in the psych ward and beyond. And I have to say, I'm waiting on his one-man show <laughs> because I think there are so many ways a partner can respond in such yeah. a harrowing and tragic experience like this. And it is very human, I think, for a significant other to really go to a place of fear right. and respond from that place of panic and fear and not know how else to respond. And I think, you know, our partners need models of how to navigate experiences like this. And as an advocate now, when I'm walking through a mama through her journey, so oftentimes I feel like the number one person I'm walking with is the partner. Right who has to become the advocate and the ground and the rock and the one who, you know, garners as much education as quickly as possible. If mom is not in a place that she can really do it for herself quite yet. Right. And, you know, couples are all so different and made up of different personalities and different ways of coping and potentially going through their own changes as a partner that may that, have their own depression and anxiety sure. going on postpartum. Right, yeah. right. But having this information, having this perspective, having the knowledge about some kind of fundamental things to look out for or to follow up on or to pay attention to could be life-saving. Absolutely. And I will say too that he couldn't have done it and we couldn't have done it without our family that came in and absolutely surrounded us and held us. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in a modern family, that means that there's some divorce along the way. Mm -hmm. Adelaide has eight grandparents in Missoula, Montana, and they held, while I was in the psych ward, you know, grandmas and grandpas came in to be there for him and to take Adelaide to have sleepovers at their house. So Mm -hmm. we would joke that they were making sure that he would get sleep so he wouldn't end up in the room next to me oh. at the psych ward. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was sleep deprived too. Right. Yeah. And there was a point where I was out of the psych ward and finding my way back to myself, but still in the experience. And he was traveling for work for a new job. And there were mm-hmm. two weeks a month, he'd be on the road in Canada. And so I My dad, my uncle Dennis, who never had children, and I was the closest thing to a kid he ever had, my uncle Dennis and my dad 
my mother-in-law, Eric's mom, and then two of our girlfriends, who the only two girlfriends we had, that they weren't married, they didn't have uh, significant others, pets, or children, mm-hmm. would come stay the night, one night a week, mm-hmm. with Adelaide for several months because mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep with her and get up every hour and a half to two hours to feed mm-hmm. her or I was going to end up back in the ward. And as someone who's an A personality that had always carried so much on my shoulders and had always felt like I could take care of things. I could take care of my life, what was on my plate, and I could take care of many others. I was a caretaker. I was a mediator. I was, um, you know, a planner. And it nearly broke me to wrestle with a sense of failure, to have to be held by that many people mm. that I couldn't even, you know, that I had to have someone come sleep at my house mm. night after night for months because I couldn't do that for my own baby. And yet, you know, looking back now, Kat, what a beautiful gift right? to learn that I was that held yeah, and that and we didn't have to do it all by ourselves. Right. And to get to a place allowing mm-hmm. us to be held, allowing me to be held and not blame myself and trust, mm-hmm. find the beauty in the perceived failure is such a, has been such a gift in our lives. And Adelaide truly has been raised in community and by a village. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Wow. And I can hear just in you talking about it, how transformative this must have been for you. Yeah. And the depth of passion and compassion that you have about helping moms, helping families understand this and make sense of this in the way that you've done through your performance. How and where in your process did you decide to turn this into a performance? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. There was a time when I was in the psych ward that I considered telling no one for a while, I couldn't imagine how I would articulate the experience because it was so otherworldly, so far from anything I had ever experienced, so far from anything that I expected was possible. Mm -hmm. And I wrestled for a while with a lot of shame. And so I couldn't imagine saying it out loud because I had a lot to work through in terms of blaming myself for it. But even in the psych ward, I think I had moments of seeing or understanding the power of the possibility of what we're doing. Because when I was making my way back to myself, one of the things I did was order my complete hospital record and read it to try and make sense of it all. And I remember that somewhere like around page 87, there's a note scribbled by a nurse that says, patient says she'll do comedy on this experience. (laughs) And when I read it, I just laughed out loud. And I thought, oh, I bet they changed my meds right after that. (laughs) Thinking I, (laughs) but you know, they could not have possibly known that I did study improv at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. And Amy Poehler was my homework, the best homework I've ever had. And, you know, that that was actually within the realm of possibility. It's amazing. And yeah, when I came home, you know, family and friends just really surrounded us and so many friends and family and and friends of friends or friends of family at some point would come to bring a meal Mm. or, you know, want to come like watch Adelaide hold her while I took a shower or Mm. while I went to get some exercise. And it just seemed that 
mom after mom after mom after mom had a story. Mm -hmm. And every woman that I would come in contact with had a story. And whether it was a moment or whether it was a couple of months or whether it was many years and they're still kind of off mm -hmm. since that one particular pregnancy mm -hmm. and they're still wrestling with anxiety to this day or they're mm -hmm. still wrestling with cycles of depression to the mm -hmm. every mama had a story and I remember so clearly a day that a dear friend sat on my couch and told me that she had pictured herself hanging from the kitchen rafters mm -hmm. for months every day for months after okay. the birth of one of her daughters that I just, you know, holding her and crying with her yeah. thought, oh my God. And she said to me, I've never told anyone this. And many of the moms that shared their tough chapters would say that. I've never told anyone this, but, and I thought, you know, if the fact that I went to a loony bin and I'm talking about it makes mm -hmm. me a safe place to say what you experienced, then bring it on. Let me be the safe space. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I share my story from a mountaintop mm -hmm. in all of its details, the ones that who would ever say that out loud? That's so right. embarrassing and shameful. Mm -hmm. Well, what if I did say it out loud? Right. Would there be more room for you to say out loud those yes. things you thought that were all about you right. and that somehow made you wrong? But in fact, they're vastly shared, very common, and you needed some sleep. Right, right. <laughs> and your hormones were out of whack. Yeah. And so that is what we've done. We're just shot, telling it from a mountaintop. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I have chills over here. I so identify <laughs> with you and how you feel about that. It's powerful to go from suffering to wellness, to advocate, to yeah. mountaintop you know, speakers, <laughs> all of that. Yes. It's your transformation is helping other people heal and other people find their voice. And absolutely, you being able to share your story helps open the possibility to other people to know that they're not crazy. X, Y, or Z, they need sleep, they need support. Yeah. And this is all super duper human stuff. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. It is. It's so human. Yeah. So I want everybody to know you and to see your play. And I'm so excited to see it myself soon. Before we tell everybody where to find this show, what I think is really also powerful before that is to end on that hopeful note that you were describing that you did recover and to give people a glimpse into what that was like and how that happened. Sure. Oh, I'd love to share that. You know, I will say, Kat, that I have an incredible amount of gratitude to this day for the the doctor and the team that brought me out of psychosis within the inpatient unit. And that said that his suggested care path for the long term in the end was not the one for me. I left the ward on lithium and on trilophon and was told really not to go off because I might his perspective was that I might hurt myself or hurt Adelaide. And I arrived home and I had many side effects from the lithium. And I also, like day two or three home insomnia set in. And I was told that oh. if I didn't sleep, I would land back in the ward. Mm-hmm. So I was terrified because all of a sudden it was really hard to sleep. Yeah. And among the side effects from the lithium, I think the the most disturbing and difficult was this complete emotional flattening where Mm -hmm. I knew that I loved my husband. I knew that I loved my daughter, Adelaide, but I could not feel love for her. Mm -hmm. I couldn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And I was really scared of what might happen if I went off the meds. And yet I knew this was not my long-term answer. I knew that I could not raise her not feeling love for her. Mm -hmm. And I had this very small voice in me. And I wouldn't say voice in terms of a psychotic voice. I think, you know, an inner knowing within me that sort of said it again and again, like, this isn't your long-term path. This Uh, is not you. There is another answer. And it took me a bit to find the other answer. I saw a naturopathic physician who had an answer for me that was not the answer. My midwife took me to see another naturopathic physician, Dr. Christine White. Um, Dr. Christine White in Zula, Montana, and they saved my life. She Mm. did complex hormone and neurotransmitter testing. Awesome. And... It was awesome. We got the results back and she was able to address my symptoms of insomnia, anxiety, and so much more of what I was experiencing in terms of, you know, the tail end of the psychosis, and mm-hmm. the tail end of, of the mania that she really addressed those imbalances at their root cause. Cool. And the anxiety and the insomnia faded to nothing very quickly, like three and a half weeks. Nice. Uh, we put a safety plan in place with my husband mm. and we slowly took me off the lithium. And this was four years ago. 
-hmm. And I have not had another episode since, you know, to this day, I have a safety plan. And, you know, when I left the psych ward, I was diagnosed bipolar. And, you know, really the jury's out on whether or not I am bipolar. I still have only had that one episode. Life will show me. Mm-hmm. We will discover uh, along the journey whether or not that is the case. But I have been educated by my sisterhood. I'm in a small group of national advocates and authors and research scientists that are all postpartum psychosis survivors. Awesome. And they have, they are like 10 and 20 years my elders. And they have really said to me, I would say within this group, about half are medicated and half are not, and half consider themselves bipolar and half do not, or to have ongoing mental health challenges, about half do not. And But they sort of all sat me down at one point on a call to say, hey, you may or may not be bipolar. You may or may not need to be medicated in your mm-hmm. life. And yet the next hormonal sleep-deprived chapter that may absolutely create upheaval for you and lead mm-hmm. you to a situation very much the same could quite possibly be menopause and you need right. to have a safety plan for menopause. And right. I turned 45 in April. So I do have a safety plan for menopause. Good for you. <laughs> yes. And yet I will say, you know, for me and my mental health journey, which is mine, again, I'm not being prescriptive for other mm-hmm. mamas that my right. journey has to be yours. My hope would be that if the bottom drops up menopause, that we address that Mm -hmm. in the best way we can and address it at its root cause and bring me back to myself. And I would just say like my hope for mamas, papas, and humans having a mental health crisis is that they can find a care team Mm -hmm. that hears them, that respects them, that treats them with compassion and educates them, that we as people on these mental health journeys are given options and that we are given opportunities to educate ourselves and that we do and that as appropriate and when we're able, that we are given the opportunity to make choices and educated choices, sometimes with a team or with a safety plan in place to find our way to stasis, to healthy and to thriving. Right. And you know, I have met mamas and papas in this journey who have been to hell and back and mm-hmm. are now living on the other side of that experience, fully healed and thriving. And, you know, many still managing the challenges that pop up from time. Sure. I do believe there are many paths of return to our whole thriving selves, whether Absolutely. it's therapy, mm-hmm. therapy and meds, therapy and hormone neurotransmitting balance, neurotransmitter balancing, you know, nutrition, hydration, exercise, sleep, 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 sleep. Right. (laughs) A lot, a lot, a lot of sleep. Absolutely. Um, And I think about, you know, there's incredible research out there that I first heard about at PSI, Postpartum Support International Conference in Detroit in two years ago that looked at that talk therapy alone could cut rates of postpartum depression in half. Yeah. In half, just by talking to someone. Right. So powerful. Just Yeah. Very, very powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the things that you are describing too is kind of listening to that voice that if someone is telling you this is the way you're going to get better might not necessarily be true. And it's okay to try out other options and find what works for you and that there are multiple, multiple ways to feel better. And that with the right treatment, you will feel better. That's what's so amazing about it. 
Yes. And we do need a partner or friends or a community walking with us on Mm -hmm. that journey to finding our particular path to healing. Yeah. Uh, We do need, I think, each of us to find a care team that Mm -hmm. is a partner and advocates for us and family and friends community that will walk with us and advocate for us as we find that particular path that that truly is the road to our healing. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're sort of, I don't know if you would describe it this way, but you're sort of creating a watering hole for that in your shows, you know, partnering with organizations and bringing people together to be talking about things in one place. And, you know, maybe a mom is there. So it sort of seems to me like you've created this amazing watering hole type of space where people who may have experienced something or who are not sure about what their experiences are coming in, plus organizations who are supporting your work and your efforts and your outreach to other organizations to get the word out about your story and your performance. You've created this beautiful atmosphere where people can come together and talk about these things. And what other kind of supports have you had for the show? I love that image of the watering hole. I've never used that. I love that. I'll probably use it again. (laughs) You know, this support has been overwhelming and truly inspiring. We could not do what we're doing without the tremendous support we have received. In Montana, we did 13 shows and over 50 organizations and individuals came together to support that journey, ranging from hospitals, birth clinics, mental health organizations, OBs, midwives, doulas, naturopathic physicians, integrative health clinics came on as sponsors, came on partnering with us in audience building. Before launching this tour, I ran a a successful $34,000 GoFundMe campaign where I really reached out to the over 2,000 people in Montana that had heard my story to help bring this story beyond the borders of our state. And um, our director of public health in Montana, Richard Opper, who's a phenomenal human being, teamed up with me to bring Postpartum Support International to Montana and make their training for practitioners available to folks throughout the state of Montana. And I went and shared my story there. And he went on film as a part of the GoFundMe campaign and said so beautifully and powerfully that, you know, mental health, Montana's number one health crisis, and yet it is the realm in which in Montana, we have the fewest tools for and know the Mm -hmm. least what to do with in terms of health. And um, that he felt like true mental health stories and specifically maternal mental health stories were a huge part of that answer to as communities lean in with compassion and understanding Mm -hmm. and strip away those layers of stigma, creates an environment in which we actually can find those solutions and that the stigma and the silence and that environment is not a place for change or healing. Right. You know, in Seattle, we had shows in Bellingham, Seattle, and midwife doula's birth clinics came out to support the show. We sold out our shows in Seattle awesome. with only in partnership with these incredible practitioners, organizations, survivors, lots mm-hmm. of survivors and loved ones of survivors. And, you know, I'm now in conversation with Swedish medical and Dr. Zantop, leading psychiatrist from a new cutting edge day program for postpartum mamas that just opened in June at Swedish Medical about bringing my show back to Seattle. Fantastic. In California, it's been amazing. In California, I just want to express profound thanks to Joy Burkhardt of 2020 Mom, yeah. Jane Honickman, 
the founder of Postpartum Support International and co-founder of Postpartum Action Institute to her colleague, incredible colleague, Dr. Shoshana Bennett, Postpartum Action Institute and the Dr. Show Show, really, truly for opening the door to California and the many advocates and organizations, passionate survivor mamas here, Mm -hmm. also PEP in Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. you know, each one of these organizations and individuals is a part of creating a model for the nation. And I'm deeply grateful and excited for the beyond generous sponsorship and collaboration of Maternal Mental Health Now in LA, Karen Post, Gabrielle Kaufman, and powerhouse Dr. Diana Barnes. (laughs) They are lead sponsors for our shows in Pasadena on March 17th and 18th. And uh, Erica Adler and Pep in Santa Barbara for our show there in on June 3rd in Santa Barbara. Angie Fitzpatrick of Baby Blues Connection for our show early August in Portland. These are all just visionary, yeah. bold leaders in the maternal mental health movement that are bringing my story to their communities this year. Absolutely. And what I'm going to do is have all of the details of uh, the shows that are coming up that are already scheduled available on the show notes for our episode together. And I want to direct everyone who's listening to the website, playingmonopolywithgod.com to, to catch up, watch the trailer for the performance, read reviews. You can purchase your tickets there. You can see the new dates that are always being added and really stay up to date on Melissa's path with her performance and uh, watch out for times when it's coming to a town near you or close enough that you can get to. And there are other places you can connect with Melissa on Facebook, playing Monopoly with God and other true stories on Twitter at Melissa Bangs one. And you guys can follow the tour and connect with others and show up for the California tour and then wherever it's going next, because I know it's going to go far and it's going to go a lot of places. (laughs) which I'm so excited about for you. And I will be going to the show in Pasadena in March. So for all of you who are listening, who want to see the show, support the show, sponsor the show, bring it to your area, please reach out to Melissa and find out how to bring this important performance into your local area because this is necessary and it can help build community. It can help bring people together. Organizations that are in whatever location you're listening from can come together and have really important conversations about maternal mental health. So I'm hopeful that everyone signs in and signs up and gets to your website and Facebook page to connect with you. Thank you so much, Kat. This has just been incredible. And what a powerful and important opportunity you are providing for mamas in their maternal mental health journey. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been able to talk with you today. And I'm excited to meet you in person pretty soon, too. Yes. (laughs) In Pasadena, baby. In Pasadena. (laughs) Yep. All right. Thank you so much and best wishes to you on this incredible journey. Thank you. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community.
there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.